HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Hungry Root. Clean ingredient, nutrient-dense food that's on your plate in under 10 minutes. Hungry Root makes eating healthy easy with fresh pre-prepared ingredients that turn into delicious, nutritionally balanced meals in minutes. Hungry Root is healthy food for life. For more information, visit HungryRoot.com. That's H-U-N-G-R-Y-R-O-O-T.com. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And on today's episode of the Food Scene, Westbourne was born out of Camilla Marcus's bi-coastal love for birth in adopted cities, Los Angeles and New York. An artist in her own right, Marcus instead studied law, investment, and business development, knowing that what you need before a restaurant is a location. So after some time as director of business development for Union Square Hospitality Group, she was finally ready to navigate New York City's real estate market in hopes of bringing a mindful, accidentally vegetarian, zero-waste all-day cafe to the scene. But there's so much more that goes into her nourishing menu of chia puddings, yogurt bowls, crispy corn tacos, and my favorite, mushrubins. It's all about giving back. A percentage of all sales go to local nonprofit that educates and trains in need youth for hospitality jobs, in which she hires directly from, because that's the Westbourne way. Welcome to the show, Camilla. Thank you so much. So let, let's talk about these two cities, this bi-coastal love of growing up in Los Angeles and you know your surrogate city here in New York City. 
Yeah, I so I grew up born and raised in Los Angeles, kind of a rare second generation local. My mom was also born and raised there. Uh, funny enough, my mom's family came from New York originally. My grandmother was one of the economists for New York City at a very young age, and my grandfather uh, kind of just really wanted, I think, to go out on his own. My grandma was uh, a lot older than him, which was very controversial at that time. So. They made their way to California through the Midwest, um, and my dad has always done a lot of work in New York. My oldest brother lived here for a while, so you know I think I was raised a little bit by coastal from a young age due to that, um, and then went to college in Philadelphia and kind of never looked back, although a little detour in L.A., so I don't know. To me, I, I always say I wish I could have my days in L.A. and my nights in New York, and at some point I'll figure out how to do that more seamlessly. Well, it certainly <laughs> doesn't feel like West Coast weather at the moment. <laughs> but I don't want to gloss over the fact that your grandmother was the economist of New York. What, what did that entail? She was one of the economists of New York. I would imagine it was sort of the predecessor of what is now the Economic Development uh, Committee, the EDC. Um, you know, unfortunately, she died when my mom was very young. So we don't have that much of records from her. But uh, yeah, she was a pretty big trailblazer, wore jeans well before it was, again, sort of normal and you know, she was a big professional, married a younger doctor. So, you know, I and I'm named after her. So I feel uh, a very strong connection to someone who ironically I've never met. Well, you certainly have a lot of those attributes, I assume, <laughs> too, um, because you are an artist. I mean, you grew up wanting to be a professional artist. Um, what kind of medium and do you still actually practice in that? I did. I was very passionate about art since a young age. I always was a drawer and painter. I was very envious of sculptors. That's just not how my hands and my brain work. Um, and I do still do quite a bit, uh, mostly for myself. I wish I had more time and space uh, to have, you know, at least a little studio or something like that in our home. But, you know, I make do and I find that Really, I was able to express a lot of that creative uh, instinct when I was cooking. That's still sort of my form of self-expression, even just cooking at home. Um, but everything from the design at Westbourne, the, the branding, or how we you know reach our community and our guests, anything that's sort of visual, tactile is, you know, for me, that same sort of self-expression that I get from drawing and painting. See, that keyword tactile is so important <laughs> because when you have a background in business development, law and investing, it doesn't sound or feel like the most tactile thing. Um, what engages you about those kind of subjects? So I think... You know, first and foremost, real estate obviously is the most tangible of anything finance related, which I think is always why I gravitated towards that, you know. Um, and ironically, numbers to some extent are, you know, I always love a lot of chefs that I talk to always say, yeah, but I'm no good at math. And I always say to them, you literally do math every day. You just don't think of it that way. You know, your time mixed with weight, mixed with pressure. I mean, you're actually doing every scientific and mathematical endeavor at the same time. It just comes naturally. And because it's visual, you don't consider it that way. So to me, it was really the underpinnings of everything that makes a restaurant, a community, um, any sort of endeavor work and wanting to understand things from the inside out. And I think, again, when you create something artistic or you're painting, you know, it has to start with one thing that leads to another that leads to another. And that's sort of the way you build a business. It's built in layers. And I think, you know, my passion for law and, and business development came from really wanting to understand the foundation and what goes into it so that 
what people see on the outside can be sustainable, appreciated, and well-functioning. Well, you didn't want to get screwed. (laughs) You didn't want to fall into the pitfalls that most business operators fall into here in New York. And um, the mortality rate of, you know, restaurants is is so, so high. So I feel like a lot of that education was was a fail-safe or some kind of netting. um, (laughs) A secret weapon. Yeah, yeah, to set yourself up. Mm -hmm. I I heard you speak at your restaurant in front of a group of investors, um, a group of really interesting restaurant minds through uh, Elliott Group. And what you said to them fused those two parts of the brain so seamlessly, the creative as well as, you know, that that more analytical logistical sense. And usually people bring in partners for that. How are you able to do both at once or do you separate those things at certain times? So it's interesting. I think what it what took me a very long time to sort of see and understand, I think when you when you work for someone else, when you work for a business, um, those streams tend to be very delineated. And I think, you know, you're dead on that a lot of that comes from a founder. You know, one founder is the creative and the co-founder or, you know, fill in the blank job title here is the one that does all the other things. You know, one person does the left brain side, one person does the right brain side and sort of never the two shall meet. And I think over time, that's what was making me sort of restless at different jobs was I felt very caged in. So I either have to be on, you know, the financial analysis side or on the creative concepting side when really the business depends on both and it depends on both being very synergistic. And yet you kind of felt like knocking on this door and no one would open it. And, you know, the two sides of the aisle were never allowed to crisscross, which I get in most businesses, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you need that structure. But for me, I, I've always been born with both sides of my brain, it, it, very activated. I've always been advanced in math and, you know, obsessed with my time in the studio or in the kitchen. So for me, I think it took all of those experiences to finally realize, okay, I kind of have to do this myself or I'm never going to be able to sort of play on both sides of the court. But when you were with Union Square Hospitality, you were director of business development. So what kind of synapses were you sending to <laughs> other people in the business? What, what were you trying to bring together? So I ended up getting very fortunate, I think, because, you know, I do have a culinary background and I I instantly clicked with a number of our chefs, um, both personally and professionally. And similarly, in the corporate office, the head of um, information systems and technology and the head of marketing at the time, we just connected as people. We got along very quickly. And that started a lot more cross collaboration than I think sort of ever had really happened at the corporate level, certainly Um, You know, they'd never had a director of business development or a proper department in that way before. And so in the greatest way, it was a clean slate. And I think in a very organic way, my natural relationships across, you know, quote unquote, across the aisle and in different ways, um, you know, allowed me to really be able to participate and collaborate in a lot of those different realms. So, you know, for launching something new, being able to really spend time with the chef and the the GM and talk about what they really envision, what they want from it, bringing that to life in, you know, the culinary side, but then also working with the head of marketing and deciding, okay, like, what is this concept? Does it fit the piece of real estate? Does it fit the size? Does it fit the operation? And being able to be part of all of those, um, you know, it was a really proud moment in my career to be able to bring a lot of those people together and 
realizing that that really is where my passion lies is really bringing those um, individuals together and making it a lot more collaborative. It's also in a diverse range of global food cultures. Before <laughs> the show, we were talking about your experience with Japan, um, as well as your time in Italy, in Rome, uh, during your more formative college years. <laughs> so, so tell me about how those two um, not only shaped maybe your palate, but how you saw doing businesses within you know, the realm of food. Yeah, I mean, I think L.A., Tokyo, and Rome are sort of my, you know, spiritual cities, if you will, my my North Stars. Um, and I think they all have a lot in common, ironically, probably not as obvious to most. Um, so I was raised very heavily with Japanese culture. My dad um, worked in Japan most of my childhood um, with the biotech arm of Kirin. Uh, and, you know, I think with that, you learn so much about discipline and focus and having a real point of view can be such an advantage. And I always say now what I'm seeing sort of as the tea leaves of where the world, the food world is going. I actually think we're moving much more towards a Japanese culture of specialization. I think the, you know, all things to all people is starting to resonate as nothing to no one. And so you do start to see, okay, this is a place like this place open Kanbi in LA that just does katsu sandwiches. And I, just hugged them when I got there. I go, you know, this is what it's about. Like you do what you do well, you can take a very singular focus and you can be creative within that constraint. And I think that's obviously, you know, Japanese design and aesthetic is, you know, something that I'm very inspired by. And, you know, I get very excited when people notice that reference in the restaurant. Um, And with Rome, I think it's all about heart. And I also think Rome taught me, um, something I talk to my team a lot about, which is friction is awesome. We need friction as human beings. I think that a totally seamless, directed, you know, perfect, quote unquote, experience feels robotic, feels empty, does not feel soulful. And I think that, you know, Rome's quirky. It doesn't really work right. And it seems a little bit bizarre. And for a lot of people, that's frustrating. And I think that's why the city is so magical and beautiful. So, for example, when we first opened, everyone said, why isn't there a sign for this? And why isn't there a sign for that? And why don't you do this? And why don't you tell us that? And I said, you know what? How about you just go up to someone and you ask them? And we have a conversation about that. Is that so hard? You know, maybe there's a real beauty in, wow, you discover the POS system. You don't, you know, there's not a huge arrow coming from the ceiling that says order here. I mean, when did we sort of stop being human beings and just asking, hey, where do I order? Oh, you know, what's the seating like? Oh, you, what are those numbers? Oh, you give back? Oh, that's so interesting. Tell me more. So I think Rome really taught me that the imperfections and the, the friction actually leads to better, more holistic, and I think more beautiful human interaction. I was once at a conference and an author responded to a question um, by saying, uh, friction lights the match. Without it, we wouldn't have fire. Ooh, I might take that from him. (laughs) It's yours. And on that, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Hungry Root. Have some food in your fridge, but nothing you really want to eat? Well, Hungry Root can be the perfect addition to make your pantry more delicious. Think of it as healthy building blocks, a way to stock your fridge with savory and sweet staples that can come together as an attractive meal in minutes. This week, 
I tried the rich and spicy coconut curry with lemongrass braised tofu nuggets over crunchy butternut squash noodles. And don't worry, they had that recipe online. It was easy to have a hearty home-cooked meal without having to do all the prep. I like you can sit down within minutes with a hot bowl of pad thai fried rice made with crisp cauliflower rice or their tangy ginger tahini yuba noodles with raw shaved Brussels sprouts or even a satisfying spinach garlic chicken sausage with sauteed kale beet blend over roasted red pepper quinoa or make it however you want. That's the beauty of Hungaroop. The choice is yours. Now make that choice and get $25 off two deliveries. That's $50 in savings by visiting HungryRoot.com backslash food scene. That's H-U-N-G-R-Y-R-O-O-T dot com backslash F-O-D-S-E-E-N. Hey, are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Kathy Irway, and I'm the host of Eat Your Words here on HRN. Every week I sit down with food writers to talk about their newest work, from colorful cookbooks to food memoirs to exposés on the food industry. It's all meaty topic for discussion. You can find Eat Your Words wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here today with Camilla Marcus of Westbourne. So let, let's first define what Westbourne even means, that little tilde, the U after the O. Um, what, what does the name Westbourne symbolize? So Westbourne actually references Westbourne Drive, where I lived in Los Angeles in West Hollywood. Um, I took this picture right when we were leaving to come back to New York, my husband and I, and we took this photo of this old 1960s building Um you know, that had been preserved with these palm trees reflected onto it. And it just said the word Westbourne and the address was sort of very small. And I, we sort of looked at each other and I said, you know, one day this is going to do something. There's something about this name, this building, this feeling, you know, of this very nostalgic era of my hometown of Los Angeles, you know, kind of before everyone caught on to the secret, you know, now everyone's about LA being a budding food city. Um, and I don't know, I just kept thinking about it. And when I was looking to start the business, um, I'd road tested a bunch of ideas and, you know, secretively hoping everyone would like this one. And everyone who I spoke to sort of had this, ah, you know, they just that's sort of how everyone responded to it. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's the feeling. There's no words. That's the feeling we're trying to get. Um, I very intentionally did not want to name it something food related. I think we're trying to stand for something so much bigger than that and really, you know, not be a commodity, but something that's more about you know, making a more mindful lifestyle in a way that, um, you know, can be part of your daily routine. And so the tilde actually came about with uh, my branding team, Photo Studio out of Austin, um, and a lovely gentleman who owns it named Jet Butler. And we're sitting down and I, again, you asked about my artistic <laughs> drawing everything, you know, and I, I send him a million photos and we tear things up and I'm very much, again, tactile and in person. I like to doodle and he said, OK, I've got this crazy idea, but it's a keystroke, you know, and I sort of said, OK, these wild ideas are great, but how are we going to type it? How's it going to be done? How's a restaurant printer going to print it out? And he said, OK, what about the tilde? It's a keystroke, so it can be on everything you want. It can even be, you know, in your lift tag for your address. 
Um, but what about that? And the idea was the tilde represents the journey from the West to the East Coast. Um, and the idea that we want to be part of everyone's daily journey as they come to Westbourne regularly throughout their week um, and hopefully making that journey just a little bit brighter. So it it hit that. It just I mean, he said it and I was like, yep, that that's it. And it it holds a lot more meaning for us, I think, you know. Hopefully you hear it, you read it, and you have that same sort of ah uh, moment, but there is a lot more sort of spirituality and intention behind it. And no one tries to pronounce that tilde in an awkward way. Have you <laughs> had like weird iterations of people come in and pronounce Westbourne? No. And that also is what we sort of road tested is everyone knows exactly what it is. They may not know exactly how to spell it right off the bat, but... It's very easy to pronounce. It's two syllables. It sounds very simple. And most people say, oh, yeah, it's named Westbourne because you're born in the West. And I said, well, yes, and the idea is born from the West, but actually it's the street I lived on. And it's actually the British spelling. So it isn't unintentional um, that, uh, you know, we kind of wanted it to feel global. And so we have a lot of visitors from London and England who say, yeah, yeah I've been to the one in London. And I'm like, no, but every street <laughs> named Westbourne in London. Yeah. Uh, but it was very intentional in that way. Um, but it was 100% rooted in the street I lived on. And the only, you know, and shout out to my dear friend, Dana Cowan. She was like, I don't know about this tilde. And I said, <laughs> I hear you. I, it might come to roost and, you know, bite me in the ass later. But, uh, you know, we still sort of tease about it today that uh, it seems to be taking root and, and to be okay. So mindfulness was with intention. Zero waste approach was with intention. But accidentally vegetarian <laughs> what happened there so we sort of say it's accidentally vegetarian decidedly mindful for you know to describe our california inspired cuisine you know for for me the original concept sort of came out of look we have to eat differently as a community to save our planet and to to hopefully sustain our environment i think while a lot of the conversations are still on gas emissions and cars it's really undeniable that the food system has to change and that's the biggest dent we can make. And yet, you know, I grew up with, with vegetarianism as part of our routine, but we didn't call it that, you know, my mom didn't cook meatless Mondays, but we're so at the heart of produce and amazing agriculture in Los Angeles that I really took for granted that that was really part of just how I ate. We didn't label it. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't preachy. It wasn't sort of in your face. It just was delicious. And, so it sort of got me thinking, okay, well, not everyone's really eating like that. And that's not just a given for everyone. You know, I lived on the same block as Mrs. Gooch, who was the predecessor to Whole Foods. And, you know, it's sort of like that Malcolm Gladwell just happens to be very fortunate. So again, we were eating organic and local well before that was a thing. Um, but as I sort of scoured the market, you know, I come from business development. It's what I do. I'm obsessed with the landscape and how things change. You know, all the vegetarian or vegan concepts to me didn't resonate with me. They weren't sourced well or they're very preachy or it's like you must be vegetarian or you're no one or you're the devil. And, you know, I really didn't fit into any of those categories. So the goal was really we don't advertise as a vegetarian restaurant. We don't really talk about it. In fact, I've made all of the tags on Google and everything just all day cafe. Our goal is that you come in and you just enjoy your meal and you think later, oh, wow, you know, I didn't have meat. We don't do tofu. We don't do seitan. We don't do anything processed. It's really just about vegetables that are delicious and thinking flavor forward and being creative again, sort of within a constraint. I think that's where that Japanese inspiration, you know, to me, 
some of the best restaurants in Japan are vegetarian. They don't sit there saying, you know, you must be a vegetarian. It just is. Um, and similarly, a lot of the R&D I did was around, to me, some of the best dishes at some of the most interesting and inspiring restaurants that are supremely popular most of their best dishes happen to be vegetarian. And so I thought, okay, what if one menu could have all of those in one? And we just didn't really talk about it. And just by enjoying yourself in an interesting environment and eating something delicious, you could actually make an impact, not only with our give back, but frankly, on the greater environment. But I feel like you're playing with fire a little bit when you put something <laughs> on the menu called a mushroom, because it has that reference point to yeah. a meat That's sandwich. That's kind of the only one. It just was so good. We had to do it. And yes, and I approached <laughs> it thinking, oh, this could be absolutely polarizing. I will take a bite and, you know, I, I will, you know, lay my, um, you know, I, I will judge this as, as critically as I can. And I finished it and I'm like, Wait, was I supposed to judge this? Was I? It was so delicious <laughs> oh, that I came home you. and I told my wife, who's primarily vegetarian, um, "You have to come with me and have this mushroom, and it's going to blow your mind." Um, what's interesting about that is that she doesn't care about the meat side of the sandwich. Okay. It alone is delicious. Um, how did that become, <laughs> and <laughs> how hasn't it? become its own restaurant i you're talking about shokunin. <laughs> mushroom only yeah no mushroom well, only restaurant. i think i think it can take <laughs> off like combis doing you know tonkatsu sandwiches uh wow well first of all thank you uh no one's ever suggested that before but it is one of our most beloved and popular um you know everything that's sort of come on the westbourne menu and that has you know thankfully been embraced by our guests has a lot just been sort of crazy ideas i mean I love Reuben sandwiches and I love my Takis. And again, I think you see my Takis in very similar ways in a lot of restaurants. So I'm always the type of person, I scour what people are doing and then I have to go left. Like if everyone's going right, I just have to go left. Um, so, you know, we just play around with different things. We just had our one year anniversary and um, very much inspired by Combi. I said, you know, my husband's favorite food in the whole world is eggplant parm. And, you know, and... Rich Teresi still and Mario Carbone to this day make my favorite eggplant parm. I bought it every day at Teresi when it was open as the sandwich shop. Um, and they know it. it's beloved to me. But, you know, it's OK. I'm not going to make I'm not going to be able to top that because that just is unreal. How do I do this in a different way? So we were talking for the one year. What if we did an eggplant parm katsu sandwich, <laughs> which was bananas? And now everyone's saying, oh, that's got to go on the menu. Someone even suggested they love it more than the mushroom, which is, you know, blasphemy. Se- yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, for us, it's, I think that's the best part. We do very much usually try not to sort of be the quote unquote vegetarian version of fill in the blank, you know, famous meat dish, but that one just was sort of an aberration. And so we call it out as such knowing that it's like that, but everything else is really meant to be you know, what is this vegetable? What would be the most delicious way to make it? Um, you know, the sweet potato smash came out of, we actually did a happy hour for someone. We do a lot of events and catering. We do a lot of custom stuff, which is so fun to do. High, low, 10 people, 1,000 people, we kind of go the range. And, you know, again, it's sort of like a, how can you be creative within the constraints? And we love a good challenge. So we did these baby, you know, I said, who doesn't love a fully loaded potato? I mean, I grew up with Lowry's, like, you know, everyone loves that. 
But again, you know, ugh, who's going to just do a simple one? So we got these little baby garnet pota- sweet potatoes, smashed them, fried them, and then stuffed them. So they were these like perfect bites of basically a fully loaded potato. Um, so that's really how the sweet potatoes smash. <laughs> and again, that whole party raged and they go, you got to put it on the menu. So, you know, now it's on the menu. <laughs> well, you have your requisite, you know, a chia pudding. Um, a grapefruit salad, uh, a yogurt bowl, a grain bowl. Um, The fruit salad was a latecomer too. And that came out of an event. Yeah. We did the InGoop Health Summit. And the only thing, we were the last one signed up because we'd opened literally 10 days before we did it for a thousand people. And I thought, well, this is either going to be a really good idea or a really bad idea. Uh, But, you know, we got to try. And they said, look, basically every breakfast category is taken. You have to do a fruit salad for breakfast. And I thought, well, we don't do that. We don't have it on the menu. So we played with some things and we came up with one. And then we just started getting so many people in the restaurant asking for fruit. And so our team would run around and scour the walk-in and make something. And finally we said, look, we can't just have these one-off rogue (laughs) salads running around. This seems a little crazy. So we actually transformed what was the goop salad um, into what became the La Brea fruit salad. So even that was just... You know, we want to listen to our guests, but we want to do it our way. But that's with roasted banana pudding, right? And it has no. That's the Foster's yogurt. Okay. Uh, the fruit salad is a sort of savory tahini honey yogurt with a little sesame oh, fennel that seed. That fennel seed brittle. Yeah, yeah I was picking brittle, that out of everybody's some, bowls. <laughs> some fennel fronds. You know, and part of that came out of we use um, pickled fennel in the trails, and I was really sad about throwing out the. You know, we compost, but composting the fronds and I thought oh so pretty this is ridiculous we can't throw this out and again we're zero waste so we always try and incorporate it into something so those fennel fronds now top uh the La Brea fruit salad so and I think our play is always savory sweet you know even our desserts some are a little vegetal you know the avocado vanilla panna cotta um so I think that savory sweet and you know hopefully helping people think about vegetables and fruits in a different way than they normally do and making approachable. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about this repurposing, um, in in the frame of giving back because you give a percentage of all sales Mm -hmm. back to the community. Can you, can you lead us on that thread and where it goes and how it, that eventually comes back to Westbourne as well? Yeah. So, you know, everything we do is full circle. I really believe in that. Um, we donate 1% of every single purchase you know, that includes caviar sales, that includes special events we do, any catering, anything that Westbourne touches, 1% goes through the Robin Hood Foundation to a local organization called The Door. Um, we're investing in and building up a hospitality training program with them uh, for youth in the neighborhood, and then we hire from that program. Um, we also take it a step further. We have a fully generalist cross-training program. Um, most of our team members, a lot, have never cooked before, and they learn to cook through the program. Everyone gets coffee, serious coffee training, thanks to our partnership with Counterculture Coffee. Um, we do wine training for every single team member. Um, we have no porters, no dishwashers. I do not believe in that being the future of this industry. So everything that we do is very full circle. You know, we sort of scrap the old ways and do it our way. Um, and similarly with zero waste. So, you know, a very, very, it's well over 95% of our trash is diverted to recycle or compost. All of our to-go packaging is 100% compostable and has been from day one. Most, I mean, we really compost very little. Everything is reincorporated into our falafel, 
into sauces, into other dishes. You know, every time there's something that might seem like a waste byproduct, it really warms my heart. We always have a bunch of team members that, you know, jump in and say, well, we could use it in this, we could use it in that. We're not getting rid of it. So, you know, thankfully, I, I hope that we have cultivated a community of, you know, not just our greater community and through our messaging, but our team as well who care about, you know, the environment as well as their community while hopefully just having a good time. And, and you do, and it's a place to stop by for a delicious meal, but you get this really interesting business lesson at the same time, too, <laughs> if you keep your eyes open and you listen, and uh, if you're there, interact with you personally, um, <laughs> because it's not like you haven't done enough at Westbourne that you also co-founded Tech Table and you're a partner in Pound for Pound Consulting. Um, and I'm a pretty active angel investor myself as yes. well. Yes. I mean, there's so much to your repertoire. Um, where does it stop within the confines of Westbourne? Or are there ideas outside of those walls? Um, there are a lot of ideas related to Westbourne, I would say, within the walls and outside of the box that uh, we're just getting started. So it's just one year and we have a lot that we want to accomplish and do to grow our impact. Well, we'll be there. <laughs> Especially if there are mushrooms. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Thank you so much for being Thank on you. Heritage Radio. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Hungry Root, our sponsor. And if you didn't hear during the ad during the break, it's $25 off your first two deliveries. That's $50 in total savings. Just go to HungryRoot.com backslash food scene, S-E-E-N. And music by Cookies and Matt Engineering. Matt, Matt Patterson, Engineering. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>